0: area of outstanding natural beauty, 12 sections one designation.
1: Hello, and welcome to the Cornwall AOMB podcast. In this week's podcast, we're talking to someone rather special. Cornwall AOMB is made up of 12 separate sections under one designation. In each of the sections of the protected landscape through our Farming and Protected Landscapes Programme, or FIPL, we work with farmers and land managers to identify and understand their natural capital and ecosystem services, supporting increasing biodiversity, sequestering and storing carbon and natural flood management alongside their role of local food and fibre production. Farmers are integral to our cultural heritage and are the architects of the conservation and enhancement of the protected landscape for future generations. Section 12 is Bob Moor, and I'm delighted to have interviewed Merlin Hambury Tennyson from the award-winning Cabilla Cornwall located on Bob Moor, and the founder of the new Thousand Year Trust. Merlin. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much for joining me. Um, It's really lovely
0: to speak to you. It's my pleasure. Absolutely my pleasure.
1: Um, I had invited you on the podcast um, to talk about two things. One is your business, Kabila Cornwall, um, and the other is the Thousand Year Trust. Um, And I wondered if you could um, sort of start off just by telling me a little bit about Kabila Cornwall, and then we'll, we'll speak separately about the trust, if that's Okay.
0: Sure. Um, so, Cabella Cornwall is really the next chapter, the next sort of um, the, the next stage in the life of of an upland hill farm on Bobbin Moor. Mm-hmm. It sits within the heart of of the AONB um, here in Cornwall. And this, this is a, um, a family farm that my father has farmed since 1960 mm-hmm. and, and I grew up on. And it's gone through all of that, um, the sort of arc that farming has, has been through in the UK mm-hmm. since, since that time in those sort of post-war period. And then when we joined the, the single market and the common agricultural policy and everything that's changed, especially on the uplands, which I think has been a really interesting trajectory and in some ways quite a traumatic one. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and I've always had a deep love and a, and a passion for this, this valley that we live in. So it's a it's a, a mid-sized farm. It's about 300 acres, which is about 100 acres of, of woodland and then about 200 acres of grade four upland grazing land. And um, and traditionally these days, that's where usually you'll just find sheep grazing in yes. that kind yeah. of environment. Um, and so when I, I came home, when Lizzie, my wife, and I came home to take the farm over a few years ago, mm-hmm. we, 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 we didn't necessarily want to go straight into that traditional form of farming. We didn't want the land to come out of farming, and we wanted it to still be um, managed, but managed with nature very much at the forefront of what we were looking to do. And Kabila Cornwall is really the... Um, uh, the, the, the the way that we're hoping to do that and it's predominantly a, um, a retreat center a wellness retreat center yep. where we bring groups who come to experience the beautiful nature that we have in this valley the hundred acres of woodland is rare atlantic temperate rainforest and it's it's some of the most pristine uh, there's no pristine habitat in the uk really but it's uh, about as pristine as you can get mm-hmm. um, and it's it's a place that i think it's important to share with as many people as possible but in a way that doesn't put nature second, but always make sure that the natural world is being prioritized and is benefiting as well. So we, a couple of years ago, we, we built this retreat center um, and we really look to bring all kinds of people here from across the spectrum everything from wellness groups of mm-hmm. yoga practitioners Pilates Breathworks Wim Hof through to businesses come here to um, have their strategy offsites, sites do their team away days mm-hmm. um, maybe just, just a retreat as an organisation I think that post-Covid there's been so much difficulty with people returning to the workplace yeah it's a uh, different
1: it's a different experience actually now isn't it
0: and a lot of people are still working from home mm-hmm. and I think it's really important to be able to bring teams together um, mm-hmm. into places that are outside of the office and we provide that and then the, the third community that I'm, I'm so passionate about us doing more and more work with which we are this year is public servants so we work with the veteran community people suffering from PTSD with the NHS with nurses who might be suffering from mm-hmm. burnout post-COVID um, and, and we're looking to work with people like the police force and the fire brigade to bring people here who perhaps wouldn't normally be able to find out about this place or wouldn't even think to come and stay here and then they can come here um, and, and and do some really important work excellent
1: and we're so we're on Bodmin Moor which is section 12 of Cornwall OMB, and B um, and certainly most of my experiences is the moor and I think when you, you think about the moor it's as a very exposed um, windy uh, the weather comes in the fog comes in um, it that sort of atmosphere and that feeling. But actually, you've taken me to your, your woodland, and your temperate rainforest, and it's very secluded. The air feels different. Um, it's a place of, actually, safety, which I think you, you don't necessarily experience that on the moor when you're exposed that way. Um, so that kind of leads us on, I suppose, to the, the Thousand Year Trust and why you've, why you've set that up, because it's based on that temperate
0: woodland. Absolutely. And um, so the Thousand Year Trust is... is um a charity that, that really sort of grew and, and was born from what we were doing at Kabila, but now sits totally separate to it. So when we started the the retreats business, we also had a large restoration business, mm-hmm. which is, is sort of synonymous with the term rewilding, although that's not really a term that I, I use because mm-hmm. I think it's become so politicized, but it was about restoring the natural world and restoring the forest that we had here. Um, uh, and, and, and originally that was around taking the 100 acres of temperate rainforest that we had and tripling its size and turning mm-hmm. the 200 acres of grazing land back into a temperate rainforest environment, which is what it would have been historically. Mm-hmm. and we call that the thousand year project because temperate rainforest in the uk is uh, the paramount species is is the sessile oak the mm-hmm. celtic oak and these trees are the most incredible trees they can live for a thousand years uh, they take 300 years to grow they live for 400 years and then they take 300 years to die and that, that death phase can be the most important part of that cycle where they're they're returning all of that goodness mm-hmm. back to um, the the invertebrates the fungi and, and into the soil so that they it's effectively a, a giant recycling system and um and the 1,000 Year Project was our effort to, uh, to to do that here in the valley. And and that's in a really good place, and mm-hmm. it's developing really nicely. But we never wanted to stop just at Kabila. Uh-huh. And so the charity has grown as a way to make that a nas- na- national conversation. Mm-hmm. And it's wonderful that we're at a time when, just a few years ago, most people hadn't heard of Temperate Rainforest, and people would think that I'd finally lost it when I would talk to about <laughs> it. Um, But now, David Attenborough has has mentioned it in the Wild Isles series, uh, and there's some wonderful funding from some corporate institutions being put towards the Wildlife Trust for temperate rainforest restoration. It's becoming a much more understood concept as a a habitat. And so, the 1,000 Year Trust is actually the only charity in the UK dedicated to the protection, promotion, and expansion of temperate rainforests and has the mission to triple the amount of rainforest growing in the UK over the next 30 years. So it's currently assessed that there might be as much as 330,000 acres remaining. And that's all the way from Stornoway in Northern Scotland, yeah. all the way down the Western Highlands, the Western coast of Scotland, um, the Isle of Man, Cumbria, the, the Lake District, and then all along Western Wales, mm-hmm. from Anglesey down to Aberystwyth, down to Pembrokeshire, and down here in the Southwest on Exmoor, Dartmoor, Moor, the Lizard, and West Penworth. Yeah. Um, so there's about 330,000 acres remaining and, and I think we should try and return that to, to a million acres. Of, you know, wow,
1: Australia.
0: that's incredible. So that's the mission.
1: And how do you create a temperate rainforest? You mentioned previously um, a specific book, I
0: think, that's also to, sort of, if people want to read more. Absolutely, yeah. I, I'll always want to give a, a, a shameless plug to, um, to Guy Shobso's Lost Rainforest of Bristol. Right. It's, it's the most beautiful um, book and, and the absolute authority on this subject. Mm-hmm. Um, and Guy's been here many times and, and and has walked through the forest with me many times um, and so if anyone's interested in learning more about this habitat that that's is the place that's to go. the place to go fantastic
1: um, does it give you a how to and how to create a temperate forest no? <laughs> I, think, I think perhaps
0: there should be a book that focuses on that uh-huh. um, it, it's it's a very involved process yep. and really there are um, there are three elements that I consider when looking at the 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 um, this rainforest mission. The first is rainforest protection. We mm-hmm. have to understand what we have left, mm-hmm. make sure it's in a healthy state. Much of it isn't. There's a lot of non-natives coming in across the UK, things like rhododendron, beech trees, Himalayan mm-hmm. balsam, Japanese knotweed, um, mm-hmm. gray squirrels and rabbits. A lot of things that are coming into our forests and really damaging them. Mm-hmm. So rainforest protection is very important. It should all have the correct designation. Um, it should all be protected by people like the AONB, mm-hmm. kind of making sure that it's being managed and maintained in the right way. The second is rainforest expansion. And people like the Forestry Commission, the Woodland Trust, are doing yeah. wonderful work in terms of the grants and subsidies that mm-hmm. are being provided to encourage landowners and land managers to establish more woodland. And not just establish woodland, but the right kind of woodland in mm-hmm. the right place for the right amount of time. Yep. And in these western reaches, there's such an opportunity for that to be temperate rainforest. Um, but then the third, and definitely the sexiest of these three, is species rebalancing. Okay, you know, We have to look at all of the species that we've taken out and have mm-hmm. grown up objective conversations conversations about why species left the uk Mm -hmm. and whether they actually would have performed a vital function right Um, and what species we have that we shouldn't have that actually should be removed Um, and then there's also a rebalancing around native species that have gone completely out of kilter Mm -hmm. the roe deer being such a classic example there are six species of deer in the uk four of them are non-native they were brought in by humans two of them which are native the red and the roe deer live within our rainforests Mm -hmm. Um, and the forestry commission a couple of years ago did a report that reckons that the carrying capacity for the UK of roe deer is about um, 350,000 animals. Right. And they think that at the moment there might be as many as is 1.4 million. Blimey. And <laughs>
1: that's to, a lot more than the capacity. Can,
0: yeah, absolutely. And and uh, to, a, to a roe deer, a, a, an oak sapling is like a bar of chocolate. Yeah. And they are just ripping through our, our, our rainforests yeah. and preventing any of its restoration or recovery. So I think that those, those elements are really important. And the species reintroduction is clearly one that's been in the papers a huge amount with everything from beavers which mm-hmm. and we have a very healthy beaver population here at kabila um our next species we're looking at are wildcats and pine martins Excellent. which i think it's it's vital that we start having um conversations about um predators because yeah. that's something that we've shied away from for a long time
1: oh, well and we have really removed the apex predators haven't we from yeah. from uh, from Britain yeah. so and that, that pushes everything off kilter doesn't it
0: it does and, I, and in, in Europe now, when they look at restoring ecosystems they're actually beginning to put it into law that it's impossible to do that unless apex predators are mm-hmm. a part of the mix you can't have fully functioning ecosystems without the every tier of that ecosystem and the apex predators sit at the top it is a really difficult one and it's always a controversial subject because it, we are indoctrinated I have a two year old daughter mm-hmm. every nursery rhyme I tell her or, or children book I read yeah. uh, there's either a little girl in a red coat or a granny or three pigs and they're all being eaten by wolves
1: by the big bad wolf uh, absolutely it doesn't help so what Merlin what makes a temperate rainforest because uh, you've got i've been in it and it feels very different the experience of walking in it feels very different to we're we're not too far away from cardinal woods and the the feeling of walking through cardinal is is very different to the feeling of walking through your rainforest here so what what why why is that that's a
0: great question and i love cardinal woods and i spend Mm -hmm. a lot of time there um uh, and, but it is, like many forestry commission um, owned and, and managed woodland blocks, it is predominantly sicker spruce and Douglas fir, which mm-hmm. are non-natives and don't hold a huge amount in, in terms of biodiversity. They're doing a lot of work around the, the river and the peripheries, and I think they're doing amazing work. So I don't want to imply Cardinum isn't a lovely forest, but mm-hmm. it isn't rainforest. Mm-hmm. Um, so what makes it a temperate rainforest? Well, the first, it has to have the right level of rainfall, which mm-hmm. is why they're found along our Atlantic Western fringe. Right. Where anyone who lives in Cornwall will be aware. We occasionally get a slashing rain
1: it's drizzling now isn't it yeah
0: (laughs) Uh, as you can see the forest in the background and it it Mm. looks amazing with the mist coming out of it yeah Um, so you need at least 1400 millimeters of of rainfall a year Mm -hmm. and and then it needs to be a a very native mixture of woodland so predominantly oak trees down here in the southwest but then everything else like your hazel roan willow holly hawthorn these kind of these these um native rural species Mm -hmm. Um, and then uh, after that, it's the epiphytes and bryophytes. Yeah. So the, the things that grow amongst the trees and mm-hmm. upon them, the lichens, the mosses, the polypony ferns, um, all of the incredible abundance of life. And that's what creates this this incredible sort of biosphere, this, mm-hmm. this um, isolated habitat where if you go into the forest now, it's a couple of degrees hotter in there than it is outside of it. Yeah. And I always joke whenever I'm taking people for a walk there because everyone always overdresses. Uh-huh. Because out here on the hillside, it might feel like, it's quite cold and quite windy. Mm-hmm. You get into the forest and immediately it, it's warm. You feel wrapped up in a blanket, and it has the same feeling that those tropical rainforests that we might find in um, in the Amazon, Colombia, or mm-hmm. Borneo will have as well. It's just a it's a very different species mix, of course. But there's the same that same sort of rainforest cycle that, that we all learned about at school. And I think it's very sad that um, from being growing up as as children, we all begin to think of rainforest as Only tropical rainforest. Yes. When actually, that we have our own rainforest right on our doorstep, we've just forgotten about it because so much of it was cut down.
1: Brilliant. So. Rain, so you were saying earlier on the temperate rainforest actually delivers more doesn't it Than it, it's got a lot of um bang for its buck i guess
0: i think it has <laughs> a lot of so the, the, and, and we're doing a lot of research here mm-hmm. um so we're part the, the, the charity has partnered with six different universities all of whom are studying the rainforest mm-hmm. in different ways but um the evidence suggests that temperate rainforest in the uk is a best in class habitat so it's mm-hmm. the It's the best thing that we have in the UK Mm -hmm. for carbon sequestration. So if you want to fix climate change Mm -hmm. and and fight that battle and take carbon out of the atmosphere, not only do you have the fact that in these rainforests, there's a huge amount of things growing, which are sucking carbon out of the Mm -hmm. air. You also have all of the soil in the canopy amongst these epiphytes, which is also fixing additional carbon and the organic matter Mm -hmm. um, that's within the soil are also a, a best-in-class habitat for ecosystem mm-hmm. services so that means returning all of the abundance of nature and all of these cycles which we as humans over the last several hundred years have really been removing bit by bit. So returning things like um, flood prevention, drought prevention, mm-hmm. air purity, water purity, soil erosion, the kind of things that nature used to do for free. And now we have whole agencies in the UK set up and, and, and taxpayers having to pay a huge amount for, um, to purify our water, to, um, to to prevent droughts, to stop floods mm-hmm. and actually rainforest upriver yeah. will prevent a lot of these things from happening. Um
1: uh, actually, sorry to cut you off there. It, it's, um, it, are we on a time limit? Because we've spoken about the ecosystem services that temperate rainforests provide, and you said that there's, we need a minimum of 14 millimetres, is it, of, of An, rain? 140. 104 to beg your No, 1,400. 1,400. <laughs> so we need quite a lot of rain. Yeah. Um, I mean, actually, it feels like with, um, we're getting a lot of rain now, but is there a time limit in terms of being able to create these temperate rainforests before we have too much change in our our climate. I don't
0: think there's a a time limit in Mm -hmm. terms of when we need to do it. I think there is an urgency. Yes. Um, And and it's one of those interesting sort of uh, chicken and egg conversations, because when they look at, there are certain predictions around what the climate in this part of the world might be like in 2050, and and they're talking about it being kind of um, as it is 500 miles south of here. So Mm -hmm. it will be more like um, southwest France, which in some ways actually sounds really lovely. (laughs) but in many ways wouldn't be Yeah. and uh, and you know and where we are now it will be more like this up in the, the borders of Scotland yeah. uh, and, and whether we should be planting with that in mind mm-hmm. but I actually think the conversation is the other way around which is we should be viewing this mission as a way to prevent that change from happening mm-hmm. uh, and yes we are a bit behind in terms of when we should have started acting and what yeah. we should have been doing but that doesn't mean if we don't start mobilising people and doing things really quickly we can't Begin to actually slow down some of these predictions and even turn the clock back on them, which would be a really important thing to do. Um yeah, and then, and then so ecosystem services yes. are a really important one, but then I think that the, the in many ways the, the most exciting thing that temperate rainforests are absolutely one of the best things in the UK that we can have is the provision that they provide for mental health and well-being. Mm-hmm. We all know that being in nature is better for our mental health and our physical health than yes. being in an urban environment. I don't think there's anybody who thinks going for a walk down a busy high street is better for them than going mm-hmm. for a walk in, in nature. But I don't think we've we're having enough of a conversation yet about the the, the stratification of that. Mm-hmm. And so, going for a walk in a, an urban park is better than a high street, mm-hmm. but it's not as good as going for a walk way outside of a, a city mm-hmm. in a, in a wood. But going for a walk in a Sitka spruce plantation with very little in terms of biodiversity mm-hmm. is better, but it's not as good as. All of the different types of habitat that we have, the different types of woodland, and the pinnacle of this is temperate rainforest because of the the amount, the riot of life that we have within it, the amount of nature, and the terpenes, the um, volatile organic compounds that are secreted by the trees during mm-hmm. photosynthesis, has a hugely calming effect on on human health, which is why. Spending just 30 minutes in one of these forest environments, you can measure the drop in your cortisol levels two weeks later. It's wow. incredible the impact it has on people.
1: That's amazing. And that's part of what you do through your Cabilla Cornwall, bringing people out into the
0: woodland. Isn't it's it? exactly what yeah. it's designed to do, is saying this is, this is where we need to be to mm-hmm. truly heal and truly be well. Um, let's facilitate that.
1: Um, you know, you grew up here, you've obviously got a, a huge connection to the landscape and to the place. Um, but what really, what was the catalyst for starting both Kabila Cornwall and the Thousand Year Trust?
0: Um, so, yeah, so I, I, I grew up here on the farm and um, and it's always been somewhere that I was... Due to return to. Mm-hmm. When I was nineteen, I um, I left and um, and I joined the army and spent about a decade in, in the British Army. Did a number of um, tours in Afghanistan. Uh, and then when I met Lizzie, um, I left the military. And, and her career was in London, so I spent a number of years working up there. And it was during my time working up there that I started to suffer quite badly from PTSD. And um, and, and a lot of that was connected to things that had happened to me in my past. Mm-hmm. I was blown up in a roadside bomb in Afghanistan. Oh. And and so there were there. there were things from that, but I wouldn't attribute it all to things from my background in the military. The reality is working in um, an urban environment, in that Mm. heavily corporate environment, I think there's such an expectation on so many people across the UK, across the world now, Mm. and the mental health bill that we're paying is, um, is only getting bigger. And uh, for me, I always felt incredibly fortunate and really lucky that I had Kabila. I could yeah. come down here on the weekends or whenever I could get away. Lizzie and I could come down, mm-hmm. lose ourselves in the forest. And, and I've absolutely attribute it to what stopped me from becoming really unwell. Right. Um, and so when we were talking and trying to Figure out how we were going to be able to move down here and start a family down here and have a life down here. Um, a really important thing to both of us was helping Kabila to be somewhere that healed others in the way that it mm-hmm. healed us. And, and the, the, the retreat centre is really the, the result of those conversations, it was a way of going this place is, is, is a beautiful habitat and there mm-hmm. are beautiful habitats that too many people go to and they become sure. damaged as a result and there's a real conversation on the sidelines about temperate rainforest and whether we should be telling people about it because right. actually when people come to them they can be quite badly damaged and mm-hmm. Wismans Wood in Dartmoor is a great example of a beautiful temperate rainforest that during the COVID lockdowns everybody went to to yeah. want their dogs, to have their tin of barbecue. Use mm-hmm. and, and now it's been really degraded as a result. I think that there's a middle ground. Yeah. And we should be bringing people into these environments as much as possible, as long as nature always comes first. Mm-hmm. And we don't bring people into the level or the frequency that it's a detriment to the natural world.
1: And would that be a philosophy, I suppose, that is instilled within your yeah. business values? Yeah, absolutely. Um, wonderful. So, We've we've spoken a little bit about um, Kabila and where you've got to now, and of the thousand year trust, and I suppose the, the clues in the name really, isn't it? But it's not a short term not a short-term project but i what i was interested in knowing was what's coming up um this year i suppose for kabila but also for your thousand year trust
0: wow um so yeah great <laughs> uh, so what's coming up for for kabila firstly i think we're really focusing on um on on, on bringing groups here mm-hmm. i have a big focus on trying to bring groups here who wouldn't normally know about us mm-hmm. aren't having to pay their own money and who really really need what we can offer and, yeah. and that is these groups of public servants so mm-hmm. working with um we're working with some amazing charities in the the, the suicide prevention space right. with veterans yeah. um working with veterans who've either tried to take their lives or who put their hands up and said they're thinking about Gosh. taking their lives and of course this is no substitute for for the clinical process yes. yeah and i would certainly never say that but um but it's an excellent tool within the the toolkit of yeah. um the healing healing process so for Kibilla, that, that really is the focus um, and we're always looking to innovate and, and, and form some amazing partnerships and collaborations with other local businesses mm-hmm. and being here in in the heart of Cornwall for me is something which I'm so proud of the partnerships that we have with other Cornish businesses because yeah. there's a wonderful community down here mm-hmm. um, for the Thousand Year Trust we, we are a very young charity so we were incorporated in early January of this year so it wow. is a 2023 birth newborn newborn
1: wow and,
0: and, and our mission it goes on for 30 years and that is only yeah. the First sprint of our mission. The yeah. mission is going to be a thousand-year mission um, to really bring temperate rainforest to the fore of everyone's minds. And I certainly don't pretend that we will be doing this alone. There is already so much amazing work being done by the Woodland Trust. Mm-hmm by Plant Life, by the Forestry Commission, by so many great organizations out there, um, if we can be a catalyst mm-hmm. and a conversation starter and an educator about our beautiful and incredible rainforests, then that will be a huge success. So at the moment, I'm learning every day about how to set a charity up. Yes. Um, how to get the <laughs> necessary amounts of funding in, how uh-huh. to bring the right people around. And I've been blown away by the generosity of, of some of the people who've offered their help and the team that we've already brought together. Mm-hmm. Um, so for the next year, for the charity it's about really getting us established Mm -hmm. um, getting our name out there and, and actually starting to see some rainforest go in the ground
1: that's really exciting, isn't yeah. it? So yeah. we've
0: started here at Kabilla with a thousand year uh-huh. project. we planted three and a half thousand trees in the last few months and we've got, um, it's, it's a hundred thousand tree project eventually, so we've got a lot more to go in next planting season.
1: Golly. And so the planting season, is that um, autumn, spring and autumn you're looking at? Autumn, awesome
0: winter. Autumn, so it, winter, it, it's okay. When the leaves are off the tree, so mm-hmm. it's kind of October to early November and then through to um, sort of mid to late March.
1: And is that something that volunteers can get involved with? That's a lot of trees to plant, <laughs> yourself by hand it
0: is it is, uh, and I'm getting better every time yeah. uh, I'm still certainly no expert but we we bring volunteers here and work a lot with, mm-hmm. with volunteers um, we also uh, try to I- integrate restoration activities into our retreats whenever we can brilliant so we have a retreat concept that we're running throughout this year called the Dirty Weekend
1: I, which, I really um, love the sound of that <laughs> it's, it's, it's
0: brilliant it's great fun and, and uh, it's been wonderful to, to, to already bring some groups here and they're coming for a traditional retreat so mm-hmm. We do um, sound gong baths, um, Mm. uh, have yoga practitioners, amazing local yoga practitioners who come in. They eat incredible food by some fantastic local chefs, all with with amazing Cornish produce. Um, We go on rainforest tours and spend Mm -hmm. time forest bathing in the woods. And so there's a lot of really amazing things that they do. But also we invite people to come and help us. Mm -hmm. And in the winter, that's tree planting. In the summer, it's other restoration activities, which are really important to facilitate the tree surviving. Um, but yeah, it's wonderful to get people involved.
1: You're, um, you've, got, you've mentioned you've got beavers, haven't you, on you site. Is the idea that the beavers will move into the... I'm just trying to think of actually the layout of the farm. They possibly won't move into the temperate rainforest, or you'll build it... Plant it up around them, I
0: suppose. Both, all mm-hmm. of the above. So the beavers the area that they're in is already mm-hmm. a very healthy example of, of um, temperate rainforest, although mm-hmm. it is slightly separate to the main body. Um, I mean, I I personally believe every river in the southwest, if not the UK, will have beavers on it within the next decade. Yeah. So when people come to me, as as some sort of um, other farmers do and uh, or landowners, and will say, hey, "Do you think we should put beavers in? Mm-hmm. Do that beavers should be I always just say to them, "I'm afraid it's, it's the wrong question." now that Mm -hmm. horse has bolted that beaver has bolted yeah (laughs) Um, we will have beavers on every river it's just a question of when so if you put them in yeah it's great Mm -hmm. but all you're really doing is accelerating a process which is now in train and that is such good news so we will have beavers throughout the valley at some point and i can't wait for that um i hope our own population of beavers will be a part of that that's really cool isn't it
1: and you've seen lots of positive um effects haven't you from having the beavers on farm? Hugely,
0: um, hugely. and I'm always delighted to bring sceptics here uh-huh. because I, every time I, I, I talk about it or I meet people there'll always be somebody who um, who is still sceptical about it, that's absolutely as it should be, we always need to be challenging these mm-hmm. things and we should never, at, at the moment that everybody thinks beavers are a good thing mm-hmm. we're probably missing something that isn't great about it, There's probably yeah. not too many at that point yeah. and we need to bring in something that's going to eat a few of them or mm-hmm. there'll be another solution um So skepticism is brilliant, but the benefits I've seen from having the beavers here in the valley in terms of water purity, um, flood prevention, they hold Mm -hmm. back so much water at times of heavy rainfall, but also drought prevention. Mm -hmm. The beaver ponds hold so much water in them that when we did have that drought last summer, and we'll probably have another one this summer, Mm -hmm. the beaver ponds stay full of water and they become a watering hole for everything around, from livestock to, um, to, to all of the other animals which, um, which are now thriving up and down the valley. Mm-hmm. We're seeing so much, so much biodiversity returning across every type of creature, from mammals and reptiles and amphibians, birds and fish, they're, they're just increasing in number and in health and in size, and it's really beautiful to see, and that's all because of the beavers, and they are not damaging the woodland at all.
1: And they're doing, the way I see it, and correct me if I'm wrong, but they're doing quite a lot of work for you, aren't a they, the beavers? Yeah. yeah. This,
0: this is, so. this is the, the I think what we've lost sight of through mm-hmm. shifting baseline syndrome is that so many of the animals that we've removed from our habitats um, actually were doing really useful work that yeah. now humans have to do. Mm-hmm. So the council now has to spend a fortune of taxpayers' money preventing mm-hmm. flooding, when actually the beaver would have done that for them. Yeah. The Forestry Commission is having to manage its deer population, or the deer population, mm-hmm. um, increasingly more and more and that's something that apex predators would once have done and so there are many jobs that we as humans at the moment have to do which in a fully functioning restored ecosystem we would be able to be much lazier
1: (laughs) and is that um that's a really lovely thought isn't it is that a vision that you think is um is possible
0: absolutely i mean I, I i see the the end state of this is the ability to sit in a rocking chair with a beer and not have to to do anything because nature's yeah. doing it all for itself whereas at the moment land management involves so many things that need to be done because um the parts of that web of life aren't doing them, doing it for us and mm-hmm. i think some of the species are going to be harder to return than others yes um but i don't think we should shy away from the difficult conversations excellent
1: what um what are the challenges? Uh, I mean, you've got—we're talking about two two things that are very—they're they're interconnected, aren't they? But um, it's firstly just Cabilla Cornwall. What are the challenges, um, and then what are the challenges with the Thousand Year Trust?
0: Wow. Um... I mean, Kabila Cornwall is a young business. Yeah. And anybody who started a business and it's in its first few years will, will know all of the challenges. Mm-hmm. We're also in a cost of living crisis and we're asking people to to come here, to, to come a long way, but mm-hmm. not to go abroad. So we yes. have all of the challenges that come with the UK weather. Mm-hmm. Um, although I, I think actually people usually accept that or usually find that um, uh, seeing a rainforest in the rain is the most beautiful time to I see I think it. that must be
1: part of the charm,
0: actually, mustn't it? Is. it must and, and we do have the
1: some. The soundscape that down comes here.
0: with that, yeah. And we have incredible weather here. But we're asking people to, to, to mm-hmm. come to Cornwall um, for retreats during a cost of living crisis. Mm-hmm. That does, of course, create challenges. Although I think that everybody who makes that journey is is glad that they did it. Mm-hmm. Um, and and we're we're very committed to breaking free of the seasonality that Cornwall suffers from. Yeah. The you know, Cornwall Council has three elements to its local plan, which are reducing seasonality, reducing pressure on the coastline, and providing employment for local people. And we are trying our hardest to do all three of those. Mm-hmm. We're equidistant between the two coasts. Yep. So we're sort of we're inland. Um, we're fighting hard to be a 12-month-of-a-year business, which mm-hmm. will allow us to give people careers, not just you know, seasonal jobs. Hugely important, is, right? Think, so important down mm-hmm. here. And we now employ a dozen people, uh, which, is, which is wonderful to be able to That's really cool. have a team coming in and, and, yeah. and loving working here. But those are all wonderful things, but also challenges, because mm-hmm. the environment's always difficult. Um, for the 1,000-year trust, I think the challenge is around having those open conversations with mm. people who manage the land and getting them to understand that this is an alternative and yeah. this is an opportunity um because I think we're so we're often so stuck in the historical ways of thinking and mm-hmm. often that's only the last 50 or 60 years yeah. there are these fights on Dartmoor went with natural england around the grazing of sheep mm-hmm. but actually the way she, the way livestock are grazed in many parts of our uplands is a really modern and recent
1: it's a post war reaction actually it is. isn't it yes it is yeah it's
0: all the ripple effect from dig for victory so during the second world war you know, people were really encouraged to use every portion of land they could for, mm-hmm. f- for food production understandably because we are a, we're an island nation we were at war mm. and what's happened from a couple of generations of that then happening is we begin to look at these areas which used to not be used for food production mm-hmm. or would be used in a very low intensity way and we now think that the right way to manage them is purely to constantly be looking at high-intensity food production and all it's doing is destroying our natural world. Mm -hmm. And and I think it's time we, 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 as a nation, stepped back and said parts of our country are really brilliant for food production mm-hmm. parts of our country are really brilliant for timber production which is also yeah. really important yeah. and parts of our country are really brilliant for restoring the abundance of nature and, and lots of it is good for all three but yes. in slightly different areas and we yeah. need to be able to to look at it and and un, sort of uncouple ourselves from the burden of heritage thinking
1: and yeah stop fighting against nature because as you say if one area is, is more it lends itself more to one thing or another um surely that's got to be easier yeah yeah the next five years of the trust what would you like to see happen? What's your ambition for the next five years? I mean, a thousand years is a really long time, isn't it? We've got
0: to, we've got to break it up somewhere. Yeah,
1: yeah.
0: <laughs> um, I mean, the next five years are going to be hugely exciting. And mm-hmm. My big focus throughout that time is going to be the Cornish Rainforest Project. okay. Which is, uh, I, I always talk about this this idea of tripling the amount of rainforest, mm-hmm. both at Kabila, which is mm-hmm. the thousand-year project, uh, and then nationally, which is this huge, realistically multi-generational project. Um, so if we break that down and look at somewhere like, like Cornwall... Mm-hmm. Um, the first project should be the Cornish rainforest project a triple amount of rainforest growing in Cornwall and and, and then growing across the southwest and we have these really five temperate rainforest um, zones that sit within the climatic envelope Mm -hmm. and that is Bodmin Moor Mm -hmm. it is the camel catchment area so all the water that flows north of Bodmin Moor there's a lot of great rainforest in those areas Mm -hmm. um, going down towards Wade Bridge and Camelford Mm The Foy catchment area, everything from Loo across to Foy and upwards, mm-hmm. everything that comes off the moor southwards is, yeah. um, there's some wonderful valleys there. And then the Lizard and West Penwith. And these five areas are really where rainforests thrive mm-hmm. um, in Cornwall. And I think starting starting up here in the AOMB on Bodmin Moor and then looking north and south to the Camel and the Foy, there's, there's realistically maybe a couple of thousand acres of rainforest left, identifying it, mm-hmm. protecting it, and then... Speaking with all of the different landowners who work Mm -hmm. around these areas and seeing what little areas of marginal land, what border areas Mm -hmm. around the forest they currently have, we can then plant and expand to um, eventually triple the amount that we have growing here. I think that would be a huge victory.
1: Yeah, that's exciting. You might not be able to answer this question, actually. um, But do you think you could could have you could create a temperate rainforest in an agroforestry model.
0: Absolutely. Well, that's what we're doing. Oh, that's, really? Okay, yeah, that's really cool, isn't it? Yeah. I, I think that's so important. So, we're not taking any of this land out of farming. Right. We are farming it very, very differently. Uh-huh. And that doesn't in, in, involve in reducing the, the yield, reducing yeah. the intensity, uh, but that's what we should be doing anyway. Mm-hmm. So, within the 200 acres that we're planting up, we have a, um, a system of 30 glades, which mm-hmm. reach about an acre in size, with rides connecting each one. I, I, I like to call it the spaghetti, because it looks like this sort of mess on Uh Um, and through that we can put a herd of native breed cattle um, a herd of ponies and and also pigs native breed varieties Mm -hmm. um, that benefit the soil as well as 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 living from it Mm -hmm. and will provide healthy um, kindly produced meat Mm -hmm. which should as a result be be able to be sold at, a, at the value that that meat is actually worth. So I think that all of these rainforest environments should be farmed as well and managed. Mm-hmm. We've fallen into this very strange binary mm-hmm. trap where we think of either farmland or woodland, Yes. pasture or woodland and, and actually wood pasture is is the most beautiful and natural habitat, these mosaic patchwork mm-hmm. habitats where you, these trees evolved with giant aurochs and bison and woolly rhinos and straight tusked elephants yes. pushing up against them and that's why they coppice because they're used to being snapped and Mm -hmm. broken Um, we need to recreate a bit of that by putting animals back into the forest
1: Mm -hmm. and causing that stress that helps them to grow right yeah that's really cool. Oh, it's, I should have asked you earlier about yeah, agroforestry, but that, that's an even more exciting concept, isn't it? Yeah. Because it doesn't have to be land just put aside simply for woodland. It Absolutely. can be and it part of be. that farm business. It
0: shouldn't be. It should be part of the farm business. And we also do need to factor in other revenue streams which are just beginning to kind of make themselves available. Things like mm-hmm. carbon credits and biodiversity mm-hmm. net gain credits is, is people are often quite quick to dismiss these. But when you think that the average upland hill farmer on and Moore and Dartmoor currently takes between 85 and 90 22% of their annual income from European subsidies, mm. the management of land in these areas is already highly grants and subsidy supported. Yeah. So, if we can then switch to it being carbon credit based or biodiversity mm-hmm. net gain based, I think it's a much more sustainable business model.
1: And if uh if any of our listeners and and the people who find out how can people be involved in both kabila cornwall but also the thousand year trust
0: i, I mean I would, of course as anyone would i would encourage everybody to um to follow us on on the various social media channels uh-huh. and have a look at our website so that's that's kabila thousand mm-hmm. or thousandyeartrust.org um
1: is that one thousand is the number or 1, no, thousand
0: so words well, so
1: it's
0: oh, thousand yeah. thousand yep uh so org and and please come and see what we're doing come and volunteer come on retreat bring Your business on retreat. um, If you know people who work for businesses that would benefit from being on retreat, and that is everybody, then um, please send them our way because we'd love to meet them.
1: I was gonna say I don't think I can think of a business that wouldn't benefit coming here, actually. It's a trick (laughs) question. Brilliant. and so my final question to you is um what section of Cornwall A and B um is your favourite and why?
0: Oh gosh. Um
1: you're welcome to say Bob more, which I is mean, obviously the section we're, we're I, I in. I feel like
0: I'm sort of... I'd be disloyal if I didn't say Bob uh-huh. more. I mean, I absolutely... Um I do, I do absolutely love Bob and Moor but mm-hmm. but I have to say I was down um, recently down in West Penworth which I believe is a section of the area that's right yeah, yeah. section yeah. 7 section 7 I'm
1: going to create a quiz actually that's yeah, that sort would of the yeah thing to have.
0: And I, was down, I was down in West Penworth recently and mm. I think that, that Bob and Moor all of our, our upland areas our moorland have a certain bleakness mm-hmm. to them which can be really romantic and really beautiful it can also be quite um, bleak
1: and uh, ominous as well ominous but yeah in
0: the same way as well. but I just think when the sun is out mm-hmm. down in West Penworth and you get all of that beautiful blue sea mm-hmm. and and it's just absolutely stunning and all the different shades of green and brown. I, I think it's really hard and it's such a unique environment. Mm. Um, I think it's really hard to, to find anywhere else That's like right. that in not just the UK, but in Europe. So I, I think down in West Penworth, I think it's really beautiful. It's why the artists always chose it went to the Newland School in the Mourner and it's because it has such amazing light.
1: I think actually... that it's, a, it's section 12 and section 7 so Bobby Moore and West Penwith you really feel a connection to history yeah. I think when you're there from the stone circles and um, so it's it's got yeah it's got a real feel to it they're ancient it?
0: landscapes and I think mm-hmm. the most important thing we can remind pe- we, the, the people that uh, people if people remember or realise is that um we are an entirely native species to those habitats. Mm-hmm. We have stone circles within the forest here, which are four and a half thousand years old. That's People excellent. were living here four and a half thousand mm-hmm. years ago. Um, we are as connected to this land as any of the many species, whether they be beavers mm-hmm. or wildcats or pine marts, any of these species which we talk about, we're also a part of that mix. And I think that's a really important way to connect back to it.
1: Thank you. you've enjoyed listening to this week's cornwall B podcast if you'd like to find out more about Cabilla cornwall you can visit their website which is Kabila, cabilla cabi cornwall.com and you can find out more about the thousand year trust by visiting the link in our show notes thank you so much for listening please don't forget to rate review and subscribe and share with your friends
0: cornwall area of outstanding natural beauty 12 sections, one designation.